We know, sadly, that despite Abraham's bold intercession with God, Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. The wickedness of those cities became an archetype of evil within the Jewish tradition. Only Lot, Abraham's nephew, survived by fleeing the city. But he didn't survive simply because he was Abraham's relative, but because he was the only one to repent of his sin and return to God. Not even Lot's wife or any of his children followed Lot's example. In one sense, this story is a sobering one about the high stakes of sin. Quite literally, sin puts both our physical as well as our spiritual lives in jeopardy. And we can certainly imagine, at least at the beginning, Abraham may well have been trying to save his nephew and his family as much as any of the nameless, faceless, righteous people living in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham saw an opportunity when he saw that God was inclined to mercy. Even here in the first book of the Old Testament, God is shown as having a desire to be merciful and forgiving towards sinners. It seems a good combination of divine inclination and Abraham's perseverance that lowers God's threshold from 50 righteous people down to 10. But sadly, that too is of no avail. The image of a merciful father is precisely the image that Jesus is trying to teach the crowd about in the gospel. The Lord is also very clear in his message, if you then who are wicked know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give? God's mercy is not simply a perfection of human mercy, but it is of an entirely different order of magnitude. Again, Jesus is highlighting a fundamental reality about the nature of God, that God wants to give us good things. God wants what is good for us as individuals and collectively as a race, not to mention the rest of creation. But Jesus' lesson is also clear that we have our role to play in divine mercy. God wants us to express our need and to ask for it. We are not spiritual babies who are both unaware of their needs and unable to articulate them. I think parents have an amazing task when children are toddlers and infants to anticipate and fulfill the child's need with no help from the kid. And newborns, unlike your new washing machine, doesn't come with an owner's manual. Or maybe I've missed something. No, rather, we are more like spiritual children who are getting a better sense day by day of what our physical and spiritual needs truly are 
and to ask them from God even more and more boldly. I remember some time ago spending time with a childhood friend of mine and his family. His oldest son was just learning how to talk. And as my friend and I were chatting, his son was getting more and more frustrated by something. I don't remember what. And of course, the more overcome by frustration the boy got, the less able he was able to communicate with his dad about what the problem was. And I vividly remember watching my friend calm his son down while gently encouraging him, use your words, son, use your words. And sure enough, they were able to resolve whatever it was together. It was a beautiful little scene. But I think this is what the Our Father is about. God is trying to get us to use our words, to articulate what it is that we need. Now, does God need to be told what we need? Certainly not. God is infinitely more insightful than even the best parent. But what it does do it is it encourages us to get to know and to be able to be better articulate what it is that we're seeking. Sometimes in this process, we come to realize that what we think we need is really a want. And as any parent knows, it's a hard lesson for a child to learn the difference between a need and a want. But if we're honest, that struggle continues into adulthood. Sometimes in the process, we realize what we're asking for isn't right or isn't helpful or even harmful to ourselves or to others. In the process of articulating our desires, we learn about ourselves and about our own internal landscape. And sometimes we don't like what we see, but that's okay because that's part of being human. Getting a better and more accurate internal representation of ourselves is a good thing. And again, God already knows us and knows us better than we can ever know ourselves. And still, because he is God, God loves us. Despite of some of the nasty or downright evil inclinations that exist deep in our hearts. Getting to know ourselves better, including our baser side, we know better what to ask for and what it's better not to ask for. We learn which desires do not represent our best selves, do not help us attain to becoming the person that God is calling us to be, or even that we ourselves want to be. Though des those desires can be acknowledged and then set aside. In the end, asking for what we need from God and getting an answer, even if not always the one we want, is a stepping stone. 
It helps us to increase our trust in God, that we come to experience God as Jesus did, as Abba, Father, who will never hand us a snake or a scorpion, that God, as our most loving Father, who even if he has to say no to us on occasion, will make all things work out for the best. We also come to know ourselves better so that we can increasingly give ourselves more fully over in loving relationship to God and one another. We can come to know, as St. Paul says, him who brought us to life along with Jesus, having forgiven all our transgressions, obliterating the bond against us. He removed it from our midst, nailing it to the cross.